said, Adrian, are you free on the evening of June the 10th? And I said, yes. He said, would you like to say a word? And I said, I'd love to. What, what shall I preach on? And he said, anything you like. So um, it took me about seven or eight weeks <laughs> to determine what, it, what I wanted to talk about tonight. And um, I kept coming back to the fear of the Lord. And um, Psalm, oh, first of all, it would be great uh, if you had a Bible or an electronic Bible or something, because we're going to go through quite a lot of scripture uh, this evening. So in Psalms 111, verse 10, it says, the fear of, law, of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who practice it have a good understanding. And it's almost the same in Proverbs 9.10 as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And um, thanks to modern technology, I did a, a search of the King James uh, version of the Bible, and there are three, about 385 um, mentions of the word fear throughout the Bible. There are some derivatives as well on top of that, sort of fears and fearing. And about 300 of those are in the Old Testament, and about 80 are in the New Testament. And I'm going to concentrate principally in Psalms tonight. Um, there are 61 uh, mentions of, uh, of fear in Psalms. And I did a quick recce as I went through them. There are about 33 statements that contain the word fear, or all rhetorical questions, like Psalm 27, 1, it says, the Lord is my light and my, my salvation. Whom should I fear? The answer being no one, if the Lord is our light and, and salvation. So 33 statements or, or rhetorical questions, six petitions or requests, four prophecies, four commands, and 13 promises. Now that adds up to 60. I couldn't find the extra one, so my math is clearly as good as Corinne's and Pete's. So, so what is the fear of the Lord? Why is it important? And why is, it, why is it important to God? And why is it important to us? When you look up the meaning of the word uh, fear, in the Old Testament, there are sort of, there's one key word that's used mainly. It's, it's yore or yirao, the male and female uh, of the same, the same root. And it literally means fear or terror or a response to some awesome thing or, or deep reverence for something generally kind of holy. And in the New Testament, it's phobos or phobos, and it means, again, fear, dread, or terror. So the same meaning in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But of course, the use of the word and the context of a particular word can, can be important. So if you um, look at um, Matthew 28, verse 4, as an example, this is where the, the last um, chapter of Matthew, and it's where the angel of the Lord appears at the Holy Sepulchre, and uh, rolls the stone away. Matthew 28, verse 4. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start slightly earlier. So it said, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, uh, a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And then the angel said what angels generally say when they come down and meet people, don't be afraid. So um, clearly, you know, these, these guys were extremely uh, frightened. And um, there are three things that we generally do when we're absolutely riven by anxiety or fear. There's the fight response, the flight response, or the fright 
response. So fright, flight, or fight. Well, clearly they didn't run away, and they didn't have a go at the angel, so they were extremely frightened. And there can be very physical manifestations as a result of being you know, very anxious or very frightened. And um, apparently one of them is hyperventilation. And because you breathe so frequently and so shallowly, you're breathing out more CO2 than you're supposed to, than is good for you. And that slows the, um, the circulation of blood to the muscles, apparently. And also, your brain shuts down your autonomous nervous system. And it literally, so those combination of those two things literally sort of put you in paralysis. And this is what we've got here. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. They literally could not move. Now, so which leads us to a question. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is that how we should respond to God? Well, clearly not. That way we don't do that. So turn with me now to Acts 9.31. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'm going to read the verse. Acts 9.31. And this is about Paul's conversion, just after Paul's conversion, and he's on his first missionary journey. He's gone to Tarsus. Acts 9.31. And he says, then the church enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. It's the same word both times, phobos, but clearly used in two very different contexts. St. Augustine in the 4th and 5th century um, recognised this paradox, and he referred to this paradox as um, the ser- we should have the serene fear of God, that we shouldn't be a cowering, have a cowering, um, sort of paralytic fear of God, that we should have a serene fear of God. It's very different. Um, so, so why then? You know, what, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, we've seen what it can be, um, and, and why is it important? So if I'm going to go all the way back now to Exodus 2020. And Moses is talking to the Israelites in Exodus, Exodus 2020, and says, do not be afraid. So it's the same word, fear. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So there's a bit of a tautology here. So don't be afraid. God's come here to make you afraid. And the first, the first fear clearly is a, you know, a, a, an invitation not to have a physical fear of God. So don't be afraid, but God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And um, in Deuteronomy 10, 12, there's a sort of a, it goes on a little bit further, a bit more detail on that. So Deuteronomy 10, 12, it says, And now Israel... What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, love him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul? So four things were being asked of the Israelites. To fear the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, to love him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. I was reminded recently, quite recently, a couple of weeks ago, exactly what fear can do. So our youngest son, Matthew's, studying for his A-levels. And, um, and all through, all leading up, uh, and all through Easter holiday, when I remember doing my A-levels, I was absolutely focused on revision, 
I, had, I used to do three sessions. I used to get up early and, and do a session till about 10 o'clock, then one between one and four, and then another session in the evening. Matthew did none of that at all until it got to about two or three weeks ago when I think the fear of failure sort of grabbed hold of him. And he's, he suddenly sort of clicked in, and he's done a lot of work since then, reading and revising. Not maybe as much as I'm comfortable with, but clearly he's a bit more clever than I am, and he's, I'm sure he'll do fine. But there was something about having something very immediate and very, um, sort of something right in front of his eyes that really made him sort of react uh, in a way. And I think this can be the same as us on our Christian walk. So when things are going okay, I know that my tendency is sometimes to think, you know, that somehow it's all to do with me. I've had that definitely in my my life. My mind is not necessarily on God in the same way as it should be. And if there are problems uh, in my life, um, then I have a tendency probably to do with being a man rather than a woman. I try and fix them on my own and don't tend to talk to anybody about them. So... You know, what should we, we should, the fear of the Lord can clearly be a useful thing for us. And there's, there's something as well, I think, in here about um, familiarity breeding contempt. I think as Christians, and most people here, I think, are, are, are Christians and have committed their lives to the Lord, we hear the good news and we talk about God's love and mercy um, and, and his grace so often that perhaps they come a little bit familiar to us. We don't necessarily think about his holiness and his righteousness and his judgment uh, as often as maybe we could. So it would help, I think, our walk with God if we remembered who he was. He's a holy God. I was reading uh, this afternoon Isaiah 6, and, uh, and the seraphim are surrounding the throne of God, and, um, uh, and, they're, uh, and they're sort of saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The world is full uh, of his glory. And, and, and Isaiah's response is to, is to, when he sees this, is to say, woe is me. Uh, you know, he's unclean. Um, and, uh, and his eyes have seen the king, and he doesn't feel so good about that. Um, he's struck by the holiness of God. And I think that will be helpful to us to, to bear in mind um, on our walk, um, you know, who we're dealing with here. This isn't God. It's like Aslan in, uh, you know, Narnia. You know, he, he's not a friendly lion. You know, there's a, the nature of God is holiness, and, and sometimes it's important for us to, to recognise that. So I want to go now to Psalms and, uh, and to look at some of those commands and some of those promises uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, because there's, there's not only scary things in there, there's real hope and love and mercy. So I'm going to start at the beginning of Psalms, and I'll kind of walk through sort of naturally so you're not flicking around um, all over the place. So starting at Psalms 2, verse 11. And uh, and here, um, the psalmist is talking to kings and rulers, but but he says specifically, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. And then going on to Psalm 22, verse 23, he says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him or glorify him and revere him, all you descendants of Israel. So here are two specific commands. You know, if we fear the Lord, we're to praise him. If we are descendants of Jacob, then we honour and glorify him and we revere him. And then we move on to promises. So Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. 
He makes his covenant known to them. And when it says uh, uh, the word confide there, it sort of um, relates to, it's almost like being in God's inner circle. We're his friends, where um, he's got his arm uh, around us, we're in his inner circle, and, and he's confiding in us and making his covenant, his promise to us, known to us in a very um, familiar way. Psalm 31, 19 tells us, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those that fear you. So there's abundance, an abundance of good things for those that fear the Lord. Psalm 33, 18 says, The eyes of the Lord, Psalm 33, 18, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And the the use of the word eyes there, the eyes of the Lord, relate to both watching out for those who fear him, but also... Um, it also is used in the terminology of a spring or a fountain of favour for those who fear him. So these things are welling up from God and spilling out uh, to us or to those who fear him. Moving on to Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I really liked that. I think, I think we neglect angels uh, often. Uh, somehow we think they're sort of very spiritual and not very real, but they're, clearly they're all the way through the Bible and they're very real and tangible. And here we're being told that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. So there's protection. And Psalm 103, verse 17, says, From everlasting to everlasting... The Lord's love is with those who fear him. Psalm 103, verse 17. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And this is more a, the Lord's love um, is also to do with love, but also to do with mercy and generosity uh, towards us. So, and I just picked sort of five of um, the 13 promises that I could find within Psalms that relate to fearing the Lord and and the benefits that they have to us. So God promises us that when we fear him, when we walk uh, with him, then he will be close to us. He'll provide for us. He provides favour towards us. He protects us in a very meaningful way. And he provides, uh, he's merciful towards us and gives us his grace. So in our walk with God, clearly we, you know, this is telling us here that we, need, we should strive to fear the Lord, uh, to keep that in front of our, our eyes as we walk with God in our walk with him. It's not a towering, it's not, sorry, it's not a cowering, terrified uh, fear of the Lord, but wanting to please him and do well in our walk with him, wanting to do the best for God because of who he is. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. But he's a God who loves us and wants to pour out his grace and mercy on us. On us. And, and we've seen as well that it's healthy for our, for our lives if we do so. It's also good for the church. We saw that um, as well. And it's, one, it's what God wants for us and it's what he deserves as our God. So the result is a closeness to God. Um, and, and through having the fear of the Lord in front of us as we walk with him. We, should, we will be able to feel him 
uh, and feel his love tangibly in our lives. Amen.